Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President of Professional and Educational Development at the University of Louisville's Health Sciences Center. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Professional and Educational Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Health Professions Education. Once a week, we'll come together and use this podcast to bring professional and educational development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. So welcome to Faculty Feed. Today we have a delightful guest. You're going to just love her. Dee Animasarius is with us. And boy, she's got a unique story to tell you about next-gen continuing medical education. So why should you listen to this? Dee provides a peek into the future of continuing medical education modalities that'll be far more interactive than historical, passive, in-person, or even online content. The new world of CME will likely be interdisciplinary and increasingly focused on workshop formats that tie CME to population health. Dee, welcome to Faculty Feed. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this discussion and, and share some insights about the CME of the future. So Dee, tell the audience who you are. Um, so Dee is for Demetra, and everybody just evolved to call me Dee or Dr. Dee, and I'm the only pharmacist on faculty. So that kind of leads people to ask, why would the only pharmacist on faculty be the academic leader of the CME department? Uh, when it's in the medical school. And, and the reason is I came to academia um, midway from the, uh, of my career from the private sector, where a lot of what I did was teaching interprofessional education about updates on medications, um, policy, medication insurance, and I was a long-term care um, consultant pharmacist. So I worked with directors of nursing, medical directors, LPNs, families. I did a lot of education. So when I came here to lead the polypharmacy program, the first mission I had was to create um, education where there was none uh, about polypharmacy. And that took the form of CME, which took me all over the country doing a lot of sessions at a lot of conferences. And that's kind of how the CME department picked me up as an advisory board member. So I had been on the advisory board of the CME department for probably seven or eight years, um, and, and then at the time, the full-time assistant dean retired. So they asked if I would serve as a 20% uh, academic lead. So how long ago was that? Well, that was about three years ago, so it was interesting. Um, I kind of took the helm right before the pandemic. <laughs> oh, no. So we had a very interesting ride the first yeah. year because we had all of these live events and CME programming all over the country that suddenly had to go online. Like all the rest of us during the pandemic, we quickly learned how to do it. And it's really turned out to be a game changer in CME. Because as a lot of you know, there's CME everywhere and you don't have to travel to go get it. If you were not a clinician and you were listening to this podcast, you might not know what CME is. Could you, could you talk about what continuing education is? I am so glad that you asked that because <laughs> because in the, the future CME, the next-gen CME, will involve non-clinicians. Um, CME means continuing medical education, and that's the education that um, people do once they get into practice. When you go to medical school or dental school or pharmacy school or nursing school or you know any kind of health professions, you graduate, and, and to some extent, you feel like you're being shoved off a cliff. 
Like first they hand you a pager and they go here, go take care of patients. And at well, that- Well, no, no pagers anymore. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everybody uses their cell phone. Good point. <laughs> and then, um, but at that point you have your attending physicians to kind of be your little safety net, you know, and, and, and review what you're doing. And then after that you graduate and you are the attending. So how do you keep up with the vast rate of change in, um, in, in medical, biomedical science and healthcare delivery? And um, one of the big challenges is that the rate of um, interventions and technologies and, and production of, of medications that are coming on the market is just exponential. So it, it, I can speak more to medications than interventions, but there are 20,000 prescription entities on the market right now and 300,000 over the counters. So if you're even a primary care doctor who deals with all of those, how are you gonna know, you know what these all mean and how they fit into practice? All right, so it's really needed to keep up uh, with the changing, um, there's medications or new information that comes out about your specialty, but it's also now mandate, it has been for some time, for licensure. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a certain number of continuing education credits uh, every year to maintain your licensure with the state. And so it, it's a good thing to do, and it's also something you just have to do. UofL provides, through the CME office, access to continuing medical education where you get to provide a, sort of a stamp of approval uh, on the programming that comes your way. Maybe uh, tell us a bit about how it works now. If we're going to talk about the next generation, right. how does it look now? How, is, how has it looked pre-pandemic yeah. and now? Historically, CME, as you mentioned, it's required. They say that if you've seen one CME department, you've seen one CME department. And what, what is meant by that is every CME operation, like we're the University of Louisville's, and we have a very kind of academic, health system-focused, highly credentialed program. Maybe if, like where I'm from, in, in a rural place, we had um, a local CME operation. And its, its job was really just to get the very basic clinical skills to the, the ecosystem we had, which weren't many physicians, but mostly nurses. Um, so CME was primarily had primarily evolved because doctors needed it for licensure, and then nurses needed it for licensure every year, and then pharmacists, and, and it's growing. Now physical therapists, social workers, the, the number of stakeholders delivering care is, is growing. When the pandemic happened, we found that it was much easier to convene all these different stakeholders and offer more CME. Here at UofL, we credential the grand rounds. So, you know, doctors go to grand rounds and kind of look at cases and share learning. They've always done this since the beginning of time, every single week. And so because they're going to it, uh, we provide um, credit for them, medical education credit for them. And people from the community can come to those grand rounds too, doctors from the community, but oftentimes they're, they're busy and they don't. At our CME department, we offer CME, medical education, and CNE, nursing education units. Um, if we were to offer every kind of interprofessional um, continuing education that there is, we'd have to have a gigantic office. But we have a unit of, um, of three staff members who really do the, the nuts and bolts and, and run everything every day. And it's, it's a bit like running on a treadmill because at any given time you have different programs in different stages of development. 
first an application has to be developed and uh, part of my job is to work with departments who want to put on a CME event and help them you know understand how to fill out the application the application requires that there's uh, evidence as to the need the gap um, that we're trying to address uh, used to be that the planning committee had to have a physician on it but now that's kind of changed since uh, post-pandemic uh, and and we'll talk about that later having to do with the shift to population health um, once the application comes in our group helps to uh, find um, med uh, ed medical education grants from uh, different uh, providers usually pharma companies or what have you um, sometimes sponsorships and and sometimes CME is produced without sponsorships um, it, it it can be just done because somebody really wants to get some training out there uh, we charge a nominal fee to do that because just to you know keep things running and we keep what's called um, accreditation with commendation that means the highest level of uh, academic accreditation that you can get from the ACCME um, and that requires us to have a diversity of criteria that we meet. So the pandemic um, really changed the way people think about education. So did it also change the way we're thinking about continuing education now? Yes, we, you know, we already had a, um, have a very successful advances in neurology event that we do every year. And it, it has grown from a single event to, to a couple of different events that neurology does. So that was one of our biggest um, concerns was what's going to happen to them? Because they had people who fly in here and come in here to come to this event. It's um, at Churchill Downs. And, and they very uh, quickly and agilely, I guess if that's a word, um, found a professional platform to be able to host it online. And it was a success. We were very surprised because we thought, well, who's going to, you know, people come to see more to network and, right, and, right. and talk to each other. Well, well, this virtual platform allowed speakers from all over the country to, to join and people from all over the country. So it was really, really a win-win. And, and today we're kind of going to kind of a hybrid where those who want to or have the means to come in to a live program can again because the networking is worth just as much as the cme but those who 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 don't have the time or can't can really benefit from anywhere in the country anywhere in the world given the pressure of the of the covid pandemic and this force to online that maybe even more people from other states could engage in cme that's produced here at the university of louisville and that wasn't going to be possible if it all had to be live and in person it's it's such an amazing dynamic um, and, and important for us because you know I'm not from Louisville and I was trained at UCLA and and I've been a lot of different places and I'm always amazed at how much talent there is here at our health science center that people really just don't know about or or let's put it this way people in the very scientific world might know in, in their silos but we believe that post-pandemic CME can be a way um, for U of L Health not only to engage widely, but but and to exchange ideas, but that people will will maybe recognize more the amazing science that's done here. The next generation of CME, especially as it relates to population health, um, you know, uh, approaches to population health have been around for 
decade or more, and clinicians have been trying to work towards that. And, and in part, we see the consolidation of health systems and clinics and hospitals coming together. And our own UL Health Network that started three, three years ago has brought great advantages to coordinating care across uh, venues of care, whether it's inpatient or emergency room or outpatient. How does CME relate to that world? And where do you see this going? So I mentioned that the pandemic really accelerated change. And COVID demonstrated to us that there are populations that are at much higher risk and much more vulnerable, right? We, it, it, any, any infection, any intervention, any drug you take, it, it, the risk is different for different people. And the population health approach is to try to mitigate risks for the most at risk. So some of that's geographical, right? So for example, we know that in rural health or some urban areas, there are a lot of disparities, a lot of people who don't have access to preventive care. And the, pop, and the pandemic revealed that because who were the most vulnerable, right? The, the aged, uh, people who ha live with a high burden of chronic disease that's not managed. So disparities really be come to, to light um, when, when you think about population health. And one of the reasons population health has become so important in the past few decades, as you mentioned, Dr. Rabelais, is because of um, the demand and need for health care and dwindling resources. So we really do have, so if we don't provide preventive care for people at risk, it costs us all, right? Because people present sicker, um, they need maybe longer term care when we could prevent some of these problems. So how do we do that and how does CME play into it? So CME traditionally was to help clinicians keep up biomedical science skills, clinical skills. But when you deliver healthcare to populations at risk, everything matters. Nutrition matters, um, you know, from my point of view, 50% of the people that we see in clinic do not adhere to their medications. And the data is 5-0. Wow. <laughs> and I always wow. tease the medical students. I go, how many of your patients do you think do not take their medicines as, as written? And they say, oh, you know, 20. I'm like, guess again. <laughs> so it's 50%. And so how do we mitigate those risks? Well, we first have to use CME to train physicians and nurses and um, case managers, everybody, about awareness of the problem, what we can do about the problem, and all the different stakeholders involved, including the patient. So in the past, you know, CME being more clinically oriented to help you get clinical skills, you would hear an expert explain something. But now one of the aims of CME is to include the patient include the caregiver in let's say a panel discussion because if you okay if you tell a mother to give their child an antibiotic for 10 days what are the odds that that's really going to happen right but if you can have a panel discussion that has a mom who's busy and a you know and a, the physician and all the people involved even even the healthcare insurance you know company who may not want to pay for 10 days you can have a discussion as to what are those barriers to, have to, to the mom completing, making sure the child completes their course of antibiotics. And by doing so, you prevent, you know, bounce back for a worse infection. Because there's a abundance of free CME online, 
people are now getting more selective about what they spend their time on. And people love workshops. People seem to be attending workshops where you're learning a skill. It doesn't have to be just, you know, placing a, a, a tube for airway, but it, it could be how do you talk to caregivers or how do you talk to persons with Alzheimer's to optimize what they can do and not focus on what they can't do. So yes, that's kind of, again, a next generation CME style. So Dee, we've talked about population health and its importance and how continuing education of the future is gonna be uh, focused that way in support of population health. But there's some other trends that have occurred in the past several years. Um, I just look at UofL Health's creation in 2019, where large numbers of hospitals are coming together. Uh, doctors that were in separate practices are now under one roof. Um, and so we are organized in a far different way here at the University of Louisville than, than we ever were before. And part of that is being driven to assist with population health and to improve safety and to have quality improvement efforts across that whole system. So as that is going on now, help us think about next generation CME and what that looks like in support of health systems. As you all know, uh, University Health has, has expanded tremendously by acquiring the entire Jewish health system. Uh, our reach is now rural, urban, uh, I, I don't know quite the statistics, but we are huge. And CME uh, of the future, or next-gen CME, has evolved to kind of reflect this trend in medicine. You know, medicine used to be driven by reimbursements for episodic care. Everybody was in a silo, but then that left a lot of high-risk patients at just falling through the cracks. Um, so the CME of the future includes the patient, the caregiver, um, the um, the emergency room physician, uh, all all the stakeholders in a continuum of of episodic care, are are supposed to kind of get together and discuss and figure out ways to train people so that these problems um, are fixed. Basically, so usually what happens is you start with your quality indicators, your safety indicators, and your patient satisfaction surveys, and you start looking at that and say, you know what skills can we build to help patch some of these holes? Um, and, and studies have shown that if you do that, your outcomes are better. And this is important to the healthcare system because outcomes are increasingly what we're being reimbursed on, That's right? right, that's right. So the only real way to fix that is to find out what's going on at the very granular level and create CME that reflects that. So plugging these holes that patients potentially fall through between these silos and providing care that improves their outcomes is not only good for the patient, it actually is the way you're likely to get reimbursed in the future. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, the, the systems at the government level and other commercial payers are moving toward that, that direction. So you're trying to get CME to catch up with that and to help to fill those gaps. Yes, and, and you know, it's kind of a heavy lift because um, everybody's so, so busy. But in, in, in some models, you know, in, in some places where they've got a closed system, let's say the Veterans Administration, they, they've done interdisciplinary care for a long, long time, right, because they've got one payer. And so they go so far as to go on home visits um, and, and, and just really manage their cases. What that does is it makes each provider more aware of where the potential um, 
pitfalls are. So that's kind of, I think, in a, in a, in a, in a layperson's way of, of explaining what interdisciplinary CME is. It's kind of helping to raise awareness and skills of common pitfalls that you know, patients fall through in the system. So it's more proactive than reactive. So many times now, somebody has to get sick to show up in front of someone. Now you're going out looking for, I'm making sure all the diabetics are under as good a control as possible, and I'm proactively watching their, their, um, um, Your A1C. A1C. Yeah. I couldn't get it to come out. Yeah. Watching their A1Cs, and I, I've got a group of hypertensive patients, and we're monitoring their blood pressure. And I got patients with heart failure, and we're monitoring their weight and other factors that might tell me that they're headed in the wrong direction. And the need to be proactive and to go before someone gets in a lot of trouble, catch them early on in that process. When you know, you can predict that they are going to have these kinds of complications. So clinically, that's what we're having to do more of. Uh, and these systems hopefully can empower the, the interdisciplinary work that's required to make that happen. So Dee, we always ask uh, our guests to recommend something for our listeners to do after they listen to this episode. So what would you recommend? Well, um, I would recommend that you all go out and take a look at this uh, video that, that we're going to link in the, in the notes. Notes. And it's a video from Stanford CME uh, University. Uh, on it called Introduction to Food and Health. It's, it's a topic that is definitely a next-gen CME topic. You wouldn't think that talking about food and health has anything to do with what doctors need to learn in terms of uh, using medicines and training, but that's like the starting place when it comes to taking care of diabetes and everything. So they've created this, and, it, and it, I want you to think to yourself, what kind of CME would be meaningful for you that's a little bit different, that has more to do with some of the, the gaps that most uh, physicians and clinicians and health systems miss? For those of you who are physicians out there, think about what kind of CME you could create to help fill those gaps along the lines of this video. Dee, thank you so much for Thanks. coming to be with us today and to sharing your, your insight into the next generation of continuing medical education. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. If you want to up your game or enhance your skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make the University of Louisville a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to discover and connect. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional resources about today's episode. And feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and come hungry.